Hello and welcome to another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast. This is your home for conversations with authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. I'm your host, Sam Saddam. Joining me shortly will be Karen Jeffries, the author of Hilariously Infertile, which was released via Book Baby in 2018. The title is pretty spot on. Hilariously Infertile is a deeply personal story of her and her family's struggles while maintaining a sense of humor throughout. But first up is the president of Book Baby, Stephen Spots. Stephen, thanks for joining me. First off, did you think of a, a good name to turn this into a reoccurring segment? Sam, you know what? I haven't put a whole lot of thought on this. Um, afternoons with Stephen? Nah, probably not exciting enough. I'll, I'll leave that up to you and the marketers. We'll keep workshopping there. <laughs> Uh, so we'll be around five months uh, in lockdown once this podcast posts. How are you holding up? I'm I'm fine. I mean, yes, there's some changes going on. My commute used to be an hour. Now it's uh, 15 seconds stepping over a slumbering cat. Um, you know, we've all made changes. I've got my uh, my handy dandy, you know, uh, mask at the ready uh, when anybody shows up at the door. I mean, I you know, what I really miss is being around the people, book baby. But um you know, kind of business we're in, a lot of us were able to pivot very easily to working from home. Uh, the people who are still in the plant, though, you know, they're well protected. We have a lot of very, you know, strict personal protection equipment rules that they have followed, to, you know, uh, to, to the letter of it. And um, I'm pleased to, you know, announce, you know, say that, you know, there have been no COVID-19 cases, you know, spread amongst our, our workplace. We're really aware of that. We take, you know, Safety is our number one priority, and always has been, and it just reinforces it now during this COVID situation. And how's Book Baby holding up? What's the plan moving forward? Holding up very well. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I sent off an email uh, in my in my weekend email. I asked people how they're doing. You know, what's going on? And I was number one, I was overwhelmed by the response. I got over 400 responses back, and I'm also happy to report that so many of them are spending the downtime in writing, and that really is good news for us. And it's daunting news for us because we know there's going to be just a wave of, of books, a wave of creativity that's going to come come into us, and we're, we're thrilled about it. And so we have, you know, tooled up knowing that it's going to be a, a really busy holiday season. You know, this last year we've added a lot of amazing equipment so that we can literally ship thousands and thousands of books out every single day. Um, you know, a caution to any author who's thinking, though, that they want to be on the, you know, on the uh, digital shelves by Christmas, get your order in early. The earlier, the better here um, so that we have time to really do a great job with your book and give it the time and distribution for the pre-sale and all the things we've been preaching for a long, long time. And when you say early? As soon as you can. I mean, in fact, I, I wrote a blog post saying that we would love to have your book by the 1st of August, if possible. You know, it's it, it does take time. We can't really rush orders. Um, and it's, it's just not something you, you want to put a lot of hurry to. Now, if you don't have a book done by August 1st, don't worry about it. You know, there's never a bad time to publish a book. And, you know, if, if in, instead your launch is going to be in January and February, great. By the way, that's when a lot of great books are launched. So, you know, there's no reason to hang your hat on just a holiday book launch. Um, you know, any, any time of the year is very, very good for a book. So make sure you write a great book, have it edited, and take good, good you know, care and time to get it distributed in, in the way that you should. 
So how do you think that the, the pandemic is going to affect marketing during this holiday season? Well, it certainly is going to affect it. Let's face it. Um, I, I don't think the virus is going to be the Grinch that stole Christmas, but yet it really is going to be a, a factor in people promoting your books. Now, you know, I, I, I think it's, it is important to, to stress that we think that people should publish and should, you know, when their book is ready, get it out there on the marketplace. But there's no question it's going to present some challenges. And I've been working with the team for the last four or five weeks talking about this. How could we help? you know, get this, get information out to authors to help us. And I thought, you know what, why don't we just put together a guide? So uh, in about a week or two on the website, you'll see some things popping up with our with our guide. We think it's going to be called, you know, book marketing in the time of COVID-19. And it's going to be really geared towards ideas for authors who are, you know, ha- you know, facing the challenge of promoting and marketing books in the teeth of this pandemic that doesn't seem to want to go away before the holidays. Um, I got to tell you, the first line of this guide, I, I actually even write, you know, this is the guide I hoped I'd never have to write, you know, talking about the effects of the virus. But it's going to be full of, full of information about what other people have done, um, some very practical I, I, ideas. I think it can be important to help authors, you know, feel the confidence to get their books out there in the marketplace and to, you know, thrive during this time. All right. Well, speaking of the pandemic, Book Baby and the, the larger DIY media family, they started making face shields in March. Do you have any numbers on how that's going? We did. It was an amazing story. It was actually the wife of our CEO, Tony Van Veen. She asked Tony, Tony, can't we make the face shields? And Tony said, yeah, we can. And so within weeks, we pivoted to, to do that. And it's been, a re- it's been a real win-win situation. You know, we put our factory to work. The retail, we retooled it for face shields. We probably lost money on the first ones we did because we were kind of learning our way. But we, we knew that there was a you know an important demand. Uh, we priced these very low for hospitals, three dollars a piece. And in the marketplace, it was you know people were were, were charging ten dollars and things like that. But we, we felt like it was important to get that you know get out that very important product. As of today, we've almost shipped about a million of these face shields out. Um, you know we're continuing to see great demand in there, and now it's not just for for medical facilities, of course. Schools and restaurants um, have ordered a lot of these. We even have a size of face shields now that you know fits for fit for children who are going to take part in whatever school activities are, are going to be allowed th- this fall. So you know the, the the most important number though, yes, we've we've shipped a million of them. the most important number I think is this: as of March first, we had 280 employees in you know, working through all our brands. As of today, there's 283. We were able to keep everybody on the payroll, keep families fed, and and paychecks flowing, and um, I'm glad that our AmeriShield product, which is the name of the brand, you know, really help help make that so. Yeah, all of my teacher friends are hitting me up now that uh, it looks like they might have to actually be in the uh, the classroom. So where yeah. can they buy the shields? It's very easy. AmeriShield, A-M-E-R-I-S-H-I-E-L-D dot com. And it's one of our sister brands, and you can buy them you know, it's quantities as small as six, and you can buy bulk quantities. Uh, we even have a sample pack if you call them up and ask for that. Um, one of the neat things is what we even do customize. If you want your school logo on it or you want your restaurant logo on it. I mean, we've, we've been dealing with a lot of interesting companies. Um, Applebee's put in an order a few a few weeks ago So and with a big Applebee's logo on it. So these are necessary products today, and we're happy that we can, you know, have the ingenuity and the, the you know, go-to spirit to get this done and get these out on the marketplace quickly sounds good i know you're a busy guy so i won't take too much of your time okay sam let's do this again where we can talk more about books how about that all right as soon as we get that title
<laughs> okay, I'll work on it. saying thanks and goodbye to Stephen. Next up is Karen Jeffries. Karen is the author of Hilariously Infertile. She's a mother, teacher, and stand-up comedian, combining all of that uh, to turn herself into a published author with the help of Book Baby. Thank you for joining me, Karen. Hi, thank you for having me. How are you doing so far? We're good. We're good. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, you getting a lot of writing done during lockdown? <laughs> um, a little bit of writing, not as much as I would like, because I'm actually I'm a fourth grade dual language teacher outside New York City. Um, so doing the distance teaching thing in the in the springtime was extremely time consuming. And then I have two young girls, too. So teaching them. So I haven't been getting as much writing done as I would like to. But I have been writing definitely for sure. Cool. I guess the, the two young girls brings right to the subject of your book, uh, Hilariously Infertile. Uh, so what was the goal when you, you set out to write this book? I understand it was an Instagram page first. So actually, that's a misconception, I guess, is that it was the Instagram page first because like it was but it, to everyone else. But on my end, I wrote the book first, actually. Um I wrote the book when I was on maternity leave with my um, second daughter. And... Uh, it, I wrote it very, very quickly. I wrote it probably in about five weeks, start to finish, and was done. Um, and it's pretty much, you know, I've, I've, you know, had it edited, but it's pretty much what Hilariously Infertile is today. And um, and then, and I knew that it was funny, and I knew that it could help people. And so I was so naive. I didn't know that you have to, like, pretty much be famous to like get a book published in this day and age or know someone who knows someone, you know? So I started sending it around to, to agents and literary agents and publishers and they wrote back, we just don't think it's a big enough market. And that to me just like fueled my fire. Cause I was like, it's a huge market. And like, if you think it's not a big enough market, then people are at home struggling in silence. And so I put the book on hold and that's when I started the, um, the social media and, and just getting that, the platform and getting the buzz and getting the following. Um, because I knew that I could help people and, and, and I didn't know if like it was gonna be the book or, or the social media platform. So I started the social media platform in order to, to build that, that following to then later on publish the book. It sounds like you immediately got a positive response. Yeah, I did. There were people like all over the world who would, you know, message me and, and, and email me and be like, oh my goodness, like your content, like I, all I did was cry. And then I found your content and now I'm laughing. And, and at first I was like, oh my goodness, like, I mean, I, I remember when I had about 300 followers, I was like, oh my goodness, 300 people think that they like my content. Like that's incredible. And it is incredible. It's still incredible that, that it's effect that it's helping people. Like that was the big thing is that I just wanted to help people. Um, and I could tell by their feedback that I was. And so that kind of kept me going forward with it. So I think it's an interesting strategy, uh, to build your audience first before actually publishing the book. How long, like, you know, how established was the Instagram page before you're ready to publish? That's a great question. So um, I wrote the book in 2016. 
like the spring of 2016. I, that's when I started the social media and I didn't publish the book, I believe with you guys until 2018, I think. Um, so I waited two years, um, two years and like a couple of months. And uh, um, by then the, the social media platform, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I would say like around 40,000, 50,000 followers at that point. I'm at like 73 now. So I would say probably like in the mid 40s to 50s at that point. So is there anybody else operating in this space? Like you, you see that you found your your uh, lane. Uh, it seems, you know, obviously comedy being the, the large part of that and applying this. Was there just nobody else kind of operating in that space? I mean, there was a lot of people, definitely when I started, since I started it back in 2016, four years ago, there was, you know, infertility, even in those past four years, has really had a huge, like, awakening almost. Um, it really, people still weren't really talking about it that much. People definitely weren't laughing about it um, and being, like, you know, kind of balls to the wall about it the way that, that I am. Um, so, so at first there wasn't a lot of people that were similar to, to my platform, which I thought that was why it was received so well, because, um, most of the infertility pl platforms were either faith-based, um, or they were like always like, you know, the happy ending or very like, sappy kind of an emotional and like, you know, there's, you know, you know, after the storm is always a rainbow and like things like that, that I was like, okay, yeah, but let's also like talk about like the funny, ridiculous stuff that goes on. Like, let's be more like blunt about it. And that didn't exist at the time. I think now, um, it has naturally come out more so not just not because of my platform at all, just because, you know, years have passed and infertility has been picked up by different movies and different, you know, dramas and sitcoms, you know, on, on, in the United States and on national television, things like that. And celebrities have come out more about, um, and, you know, well-known people about their infertility journey. So I think that um, now, so you are finding maybe some more, you know, comedy and infertility, but definitely nothing that's like as just straight comedy about infertility like like mine. Why do you think it is that we treat infertility as a taboo topic? I think that that part of what makes it such a taboo topic is that um, people feel that they're like less of of a person, less of a of a female or less of a male if they can't reproduce. And um, I think they look at it as like such a detriment to who they are. And I know that for me, I mean, I had no idea that I was infertile before finding out that I was infertile. You know, like for years I was like, I'm not going to have a hard time getting pregnant. Like I'm young, I'm active, I'm in good shape. And I'm a school teacher. Like I've devoted my whole life to children. So I'm like, of course I'm going to be able to have kids. Like I never, I never thought anything other than that. So I think it's also really interesting, especially in, in our generation, you know, you try to not get pregnant for so many years. And, and then once you are in the place where you want to get pregnant, it's, you know, it doesn't happen right away. And you're like, wait, what? And like, it's just so mind boggling. And, even this understanding like ovulation and when you can conceive, like I realized I had like a very, very low understanding of that, you know, like of my own body, of my, of the own female body. But I like, I was like, was I not paying attention in like sex ed class? I don't know. But like, I just feel like it's not really talked about. And for a male factor in fertility, I think that, you know, there is still a part of like the old, like, you know, machismo that's like, 
that they feel people men feel that they're less of a man if they can't get pregnant they can't get a woman pregnant you know and like it has nothing to do with any other you know sexual function necessarily but i think that there is a stigma on it and i think it's also a really hard topic because it is so sad you know when you're dealing with miscarriages and um and struggling to conceive and or stillbirth or anything like these are like you know, life changing events and that are huge. And it is really sad. So I think those are all the things that play into why it is such a big taboo topic, like you said. Yeah, I think uh, another thing worth mentioning would be that it's not something that is public information. You know, if you, you break your arm or something, go to the hospital, you come in with a cast to work the next day, everyone's going to know about it. But uh, with infertility, there, there's nothing outside saying, okay, this is, uh, you know, there's something going on here. Which I actually, like, I remember when I was going through it, I didn't understand why, like, no one would talk about it. Because I was like, like, my other girlfriend, you know, had a root canal, and then we talked about it. And, like, my buddy, because he's a little bit older than I am, like, he had a colonoscopy, and we talked about it. And, like, those aren't pleasant (laughs) experiences, you know? And they're not something like you like breaking your arm or something where or you're in a car accident where, like, it's out there. But at the same time, we talked about it. So I remember being like, why... Why don't we talk about this? And for me, when I started going through infertility, I just kind of talked about it with my friends the way I would talk about anything going on in my life. And some of my coworkers that were, you know, good friends of mine, they were like, oh, yeah, I went through that, too. Or I went through that, too. And I remember I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, why didn't you tell me, you know, like not that I wanted to know or be gossip or salacious or for any reason, more so just because like I could have supported you better. I could have been a better friend to you. I could have checked in on you. I could have, you know, like just anything. And also for me, now that I'm going through it, I could have known that you were a good resource (laughs) to have Mm -hmm. during that, you know? So I think, I do think it's so weird that we don't, that people don't, you know, talk about it that much. So on the comedy side, you were immediately ready to jump in with with jokes as soon as uh, you got bad news? So, no, I mean, the comedy part of it kind of happened naturally also. I remember when I, the first day that I found out that I was infertile, like, I, I, like, I lost my mind, you know, like, like, normally that would be, I think, the the typical reaction. Like, I was like, what? Like, I got a, I got a voicemail from my doctor on the phone. And she said that she thought I have something called PCOS, which is, stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and that she wants me to see the fertility clinic down the street. And so obviously I went home and it was like, fr- of course, and she's like, and it's Friday at five o'clock, so I'm not gonna be in the office until Monday. And I was like, so I went home and I Googled it and the only thing I could see was infertile, infertility, unable to get pre- pregnant, trouble getting pregnant. And I like, no joke, I almost threw my computer across my apartment. Like I was a wreck. I mean, I was as emotional as, as anyone would be when they find that out, especially because, you know, all my life I, I had never thought that I, there would be a problem. And I, Again, I'm a school teacher and I just kind of thought this was going to happen, you know. So um, so there were definitely, it wasn't all like fun. You know, people always ask me, they're like, is infertility funny? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like it's not, you know. But there are some really funny aspects to it. And that's what my husband and I chose to focus on. So when we were going to the clinic and my doctor was explaining to us like how my husband would have to give his donation and I remember being like, wait, what? Like, I didn't even understand what he meant. And I was like, oh, donation. Okay, got it. Like, I just, and then the doctor said that the lab on site will clean and buff 
my husband's sperm. Like he actually, he actually used those words. And I remember looking at my husband and we were just like trying so hard not to laugh because it's like a very serious initial consult, initial meeting. And we walked out and I was like, what the heck? Like your sperm gets to go to the spa and all I get is like my blood taken and morning and like the wand, you know, every morning. And so from then on, like we just kind of, you know, dealt with it with humor, which is how we deal with a lot of stuff that goes on in our lives. Like that's just how we're just very sarcastic and inappropriate humor. And that's what gets us through. So and built it into your stand up routine, it seems. <laughs> yes. So the stand up, like I am, everyone's like, so are you um, like, what training do you have to be a comedian? I'm like, I have no tra- <laughs> training to be a comedian, aside from the fact that I came from a dysfunctional family and that I'm a school teacher. Um, those would be basically doing stand-up all day long when you're a school teacher, you know. Um, but I don't, I'm not a formally trained comedian. And the the stand-up comedy is really just my whole me kind of telling my book almost in a way, like kind of paraphrasing my book down. It's an hour long, a little bit over an hour long um routine. And it just, you know, my me explaining my story from finding out that that I was infertile to having um giving birth to my second daughter abby who was born like completely in the amniotic sac which is very very rare which i didn't know because i didn't google it but it is it sounds almost i don't know if you're familiar with that hannah gadsby's nanette where it's a whole comedy routine and hilarious but also just incredibly tragic and you know exploring all these emotions well i mean and that's something about comedy like i follow a lot of comedians and i've always enjoyed you know watching comedians and a lot of their stuff that's funny is like it's the not necessarily the hyperbole is what makes it funny. Like the, the funniness in my opinion is where it's like, it's funny because it's true. You know, like mm-hmm. those things were like, that's like, that's a saying it's funny because it's true. And it, and it is because, you know, the, the most, I think the most honest, um, the, you know, the, the funniest comedy is the most honest in my opinion. And this is as honest and as raw as it gets. Well, with that honesty comes, you know, that you're exposing your personal stories. Did you have a lot of concerns about that or or those close to you if you were sharing something that maybe they weren't comfortable with you sharing? That's a great question. So um, when I first when I first wrote the book, I shared it with um, my husband and my mom and my mother in law. And they were so they knew the content of my book. Um, and then when things started getting bigger and, and then with hilariously infertile, the social media platform, when things got started getting bigger and bigger, um, you know, I made sure that everyone was okay with this, that it wasn't, um, I mean, to be honest, like my mom, like didn't really have a choice. Like I was like, mom, this is what I'm doing. She was like, okay. Um, but, (laughs) but in terms of my husband and my mother-in-law, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't, um, in any way that they didn't think it was like disrespectful or unbecoming, you know, of the family, especially because they're my, you know, my in-laws and stuff, but they, it was quite the opposite. Everyone was very supportive. I was most nervous actually, in fact, about my husband's like fraternity brothers from college because he has this big group of friends. And I was like, they're going to give you a hard time, like the way that guys do. And in fact, his fraternity brothers have been like super supportive of everything. They think it's great. They haven't given him a hard time at all. It's like quite the opposite. So I think that once you, once people realize like, 
what it is that that hilariously infertile is doing, they they get it, you know. And if people have met me in real life, they know that it's just me in real life, you know. This this is just the way. And like I, I'll just say things that no one, everyone is thinking, but no one is saying. And I'm the one who's like, I'm. Can we all just talk about this right now, you know? So, and that's how the social media is, and that's how the book is too. What about your kids? Did you have any concern about, uh, you know, sharing all these stories about them that maybe later on they wouldn't be interested in? Or have you, you thought about when you share this with them that, you know, they're the topic of a book? That's a great question, too. So my older daughter, she um, she knows she found out like around kindergarten that I um, that I had like this other side thing going on. And it was funny because in the beginning, she thought she thought that I was helping people to make babies. Like, that's what she told her kindergarten teacher. She said, my mommy's in the city today because my mommy's helping other people make babies. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, I was like, this this woman's going to think that I'm, like, moonlighting as a midwife or something because she knew I was a school teacher. Um, so, so I explained it to her that I'm not helping people make babies, but I'm helping people through when they're trying to make babies but she knows about it she knows about hilariously infertile she she doesn't really understand what social media is she knows i wrote a book about about her she knows that um that it's all about her and her sister and me trying to get pregnant with them and that i'm that i help other other people my my little one she's like not even five yet so that's we're starting to have i'm starting to have the conversation with her um and it mostly is just through if i'll be like oh i have to go on this podcast right now or whatever she'll be like for what and i'll go and i'll talk to her about it in that way um in terms of so having them in in their you know their likeness being in a book i was never really that concerned about in terms of the social media i have very very strict rules about my children in social media for hilariously infertile like i don't ever i don't ever have pictures of any babies on social media or any children on my social media because i find it's a trigger for a lot of my followers um but i never have my my child's face on social media i I just, you know, it, it would be different if it was like a private personal account, but it's not. Um, and I even started another during quarantine, I started another spin-off account called Hilariously Parenting. And even with that, it's about me in parenting and it's about my kids. Um, I don't post to it as often just because I don't have enough time, but I always block out their face somehow um, or don't show their, you know, their, I'll put like little sunglasses on them or something because it's important to me to maintain their anonymity until, you know, they're old enough that they can make that decision. And I just don't want people to be able to spot my kids in the crowd and know who they are. That's my, that's my big thing. So you just tease a new book there, Hilariously Parenting? (laughs) So, um, so the hilariously parenting is just the social media platform right now, but, um, but I am, I'm writing another book that is about my, it's about my childhood and just like the weird dysfunctionalness of my family. And it's taking a lot longer to write because it's a lot longer of a story, but it's also like, it's harder for me to go back there, you know, as as a writer, I don't know, but like to to go back to that spot and and to bring myself back there. Some chapters are easier to write than others, um, but I don't know if anything will ever come of it. But if it does, I'll definitely come back to Book Baby for <laughs> for publication for sure. I already stole my last question, <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. I was really happy with Book Baby in general, so I think that you guys are doing a great job. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day.
Thanks again to Karen Jeffries. If you want to check out her book and thousands of other indie authors, you can do that at store.bookbaby.com. Thank you to Stephen for joining me earlier. The face shields he talked about can be purchased at amerishield.com. And the Book Baby staff, of course, is always standing by to help you get your book published over at bookbaby.com. And always, please rate, subscribe, follow the podcast wherever you listen. Until next time, this has been the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast. Stay safe, everyone.